Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Actually, I think the last show was July of last year. Um, and part of the reason for that is because, you know, at some point you just want to take a break from politics. But today, my very special guest is the commissioner of insurance and securities. Is that what your official title is? Constitutionally, I'm called the state auditor, but I call myself the commissioner of securities and insurance. Okay. CSI makes it easier to remember. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Monica Lindine to the show. Um, so constitutionally, it's securities? Or, uh, state auditor. State auditor. Yes. And now the state auditor is the fifth and unknown member of the land board, correct? <laughs> unknown? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it is, yes. I think that when, when people hear that you're the state auditor, they tend to just want to get away as fast as possible because they just envision somebody who's going to audit their books or their taxes or something of that nature, which obviously isn't the case. No. So what is it exactly that the state auditor, or the CSI as you prefer, mm -hmm. does? Well... I regulate the insurance and securities industries here in Montana. I think that there was a time in Montana history, in fact, I know there was a time in Montana history where this office actually did audit um, legislative functions, uh, legislative uh, uh, general fund, things of that nature. But that has all gone away and obviously is in different parts of state government now. And so my primary responsibilities are to regulate, as I said, securities and insurance, and I serve on the state land board. Okay, so I'm going to ask, because this is something that's always bothered me, what exactly are securities? Uh, securities are, for instance, when you invest in a company, um, mm. whether you're investing in a company on Wall Street or you're investing in a company, let's say, an oil well uh, or something of that nature. Um, anyone who's offering any type of investment opportunity has to actually be number one, licensed to do that, and number two, they actually have to register the product for sale in the state of Montana or any other state, depending on which state you're doing business in. And if you're not, you're doing it illegally. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, so I know of one case that you guys had to deal with recently, which um, took out somebody that I'm very happy you took out with. <laughs> that was Harris Himes. Um, you caught a lot of flack for... Uh, from several organizations that had nothing to do with securities and exchange, like you were on a witch hunt. Does that happen often? I don't want to talk about the specifics of the case, but mm -mm. when you go out and you're dealing with what's going on, do people just not understand and assume it's a witch hunt? Or? No, no. Generally, I think that, you know, obviously we get phone calls from people waging complaints. And once we get a complaint, then we actually start an investigation. We're never out there looking for something like that. We wait till we get a complaint. We do an investigation, and if we find there was wrongdoing, then we move forward with, you know, pressing charges and prosecuting, and maybe, depending on the situation, that person might go to jail. They always, we always look to get restitution for the victims of securities fraud and so, so forth. Um, it just turned out in this particular case that um, they were trying to make it sound like we were on a witch hunt and doing it for a particular reason, which obviously wasn't the case, and the judge saw that as well. Right. Okay, so let's back up a little bit in your political career. This isn't the first office that you've held. No, no. And I, when did you get started in politics? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, first time I ran for a legislative seat was 1994. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I know I'm getting old, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember 94. It was after I graduated high school. So. Yeah, 94. I was actually, I lived in Huntley, which is just east of Billings, for those of you who don't know. And I had kind of gotten very active in my community. And there was uh, this one day we all woke up and there was coal trucks uh, stockpiling, running into our community and stockpiling uh, coal uh, next to the railroad in Huntley. And we were all slightly upset because of the, the dirt and the mess and the trucks and what have you. And so I got involved kind of in politics that way. Um, we actually were able to, over the course of about two years, um, get the Bull Mountain Mine at the time, just outside of Roundup, to move their stockpile, which was something a lot of folks never thought we could do. And then I worked on a legislator's campaign, the local legislator as a treasurer. And then in 1994, they called me up and asked me if I wanted to run for office. And not knowing what the heck I was doing, I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and I lost. <laughs> uh, so what was the first office that you held? Uh, it was that legislative seat, actually. I ran um, three times. Third time I won. And that district started in Huntley, just east of Billings, and went uh, almost to Mile City. Oh, wow. Yeah, large, large southeastern Montana district. And uh, I actually defeated the incumbent, who was a really popular rancher from Rosebud County, um, on one issue, and that was electricity deregulation. Um, my district also included Coal Strip. And thankfully, the folks in Coal Strip understood just what a poor vote that was. Mm. And so that's all I talked about, for the most part is the fact that he had voted for this twice. And uh, so they yeah, and unelected him and sent me there, and I spent eight years in the Montana legislature. And then what made you decide to run? Did you run for auditor immediately after that? Or? No. <laughs> no, actually, I got talked into running for Congress. Oh. Yeah. That How was, was that? Um, it was an experience. Let me, yeah, it was the same year that... Uh, cause, That's subtle. <laughs> yeah, it was an experience. Uh, you know, John Tester and I came into the legislature together. We termed out together. And we were both in leadership together. And, of course, he decided to run for the Senate. I just got talked into running for Congress. And uh, it was a tough year to run for Congress when you had a really um, high-profile primary. Because, remember, Tester and Morrison were running against each other. Right. So all the money was going in there. And then even once the primary was over, of course, then that Senate seat became a targeted Senate seat in the nation. Right. You know, I think it was one of the top two, as I recall. So, you know, it was hard to get attention, but still, you know, I managed to raise about a million dollars, got a fairly decent amount of the vote, and called it good. <laughs> right, and then from that, did you decide that you were going to run for a statewide, or did you, you decide know, that, you know what, I'm going to go home? <laughs> you know, I, I had planned on just going back to the private sector, um, but some friends of mine said, you know, you really ought to consider running for state auditor, and and I knew, I knew some things about the office because I served on the appropriations subcommittee that actually dealt with the budget for this office. And I thought, well, I don't know. But I went ahead and I called um, Mark O'Keefe, who was a good friend and obviously was the auditor prior to Morrison, and visited with him. And, you know, he just, he told me, you know, Monica, you're, you're going to find this hard to believe it, but of everything I've done in my life, that was, that was the best job I ever had. And he right. talked about why it was important and how, you know, you, people don't realize the good things that go on in this office as far as protecting consumers and how, how fulfilling it is. And so 
um, made the decision to give it a try. And so now here I am in my second term. Yeah, and, and we have election season starting up again, which is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> fun being, you know, in air quotes or scare quotes, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, you're not having to deal with a, a, a campaign. No, no. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it is nice, yeah. It's one of the things I actually found the, in the first term, uh, midterm, not to have to actually be running for office. It was a first, and I can't remember how many years. It felt great. But at the same time, you know, I like to I like to help other candidates, and I want to be active in, in that in any way I can. Right. So, um, when you decided to run for the auditor's position, did you do a lot of research into the? I mean, obviously, you talked to the person that had had the role. Did you do a lot of research into how the role has changed over time, or did you kind of have to get up to speed with that after you were elected? As far as changed over time, I'm, I'm not well, really, but I mean, I looked at the issues that, you know, they've been dealing with over the last, you know, eight to 12 years. And, you know, it's funny, you can, you can always look at what's, what an office is doing, but until you actually get in there, um, you, never, you never really truly understand it. And even then it takes some time. And so, um, of course, when you first take office as a statewide here in Montana, the first thing you have to do is deal with the legislature. And they're such delightful people. <laughs> I mean, I know you were one of them, but yeah, how was that? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that um, you, having been a legislator, I think it was easier for me mm. to deal with in understanding the budget process and all that. <clears throat> so I wasn't intimidated at all, but I just, I was trying to really kind of understand you know, our legislative package, which had actually been put together before I became the state auditor that first term. And, but, you know, we worked through it. We did good. We had a great legislature. And, you know, I, I have come to understand, though, over the last six, seven years, um, why people were always glad when the legislature left town. Because, <laughs> yeah, it can be, it can be difficult. I, I had one particularly rough session with the legislature. Uh, I think a lot of people know um, just, what, three years ago. 2011? They were delightful. <laughs> they were yeah. awesome. And by awesome, I mean they left as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's sometimes when 90 days seems interminable. So, uh. <laughs> um, so with all, obviously coal stockpiling is not something that we deal with usually on the western half of the state anymore. No. Um, how does your office... Uh, deal with that dichotomy of how the state sees itself because eastern Montana and western Montana are effectively two different states in some ways and in other ways they're very much nowhere Montanans and I'm assuming uh, and maybe it's foolish to do so but I'm assuming your office has some influence in different ways with the areas and how does you know how the thinking out east affect how things are done in your office or does it it doesn't does, for your office, I guess a better way to state this is, for your office, does Montana appear as a unified whole or does it have that split between East and West? In terms of regulating the industries, there's no difference between the Eastern and Western side of the state. I think that, you know, we view the state as a whole, um, as it should be. Obviously, when you're dealing with land board issues, sometimes there's that East versus West. I mean, I even found <clears throat> when I was in the legislature, it's really interesting, especially on the Appropriations Committee. Um, you know, a lot of times people think that it's always Republican versus Democrat, and that really isn't the, always the case, especially when you're in a committee like the Appropriations Committee. A lot of times it is East versus West. And <laughs> being, yeah, and it, I don't think people outside the state realize how different oh, it yeah. is. Yeah, when you're talking about how, where the money's going to go and where the money actually is generated from, um, 
you know, on some people's minds, especially those of us from the eastern part of the state, sometimes we think that the western state certainly gets their share. Um, and, and they get their share a lot of times from money that is actually created out of natural resources from the eastern part of the state. And so there's, sometimes there's that little, little bit of a conflict that occurs. Yeah, and, and uh, I'll be the first to admit to it. I mean, there's a lot of times when we're like, well, we have this tax money coming in. Yeah, but it's coming in from other counties, so you might want to pay attention to that. Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand that. They, got, they should know where that money comes from and who's really, what's really paying the bills. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, this is completely off topic because it just still, it still cracks me up and it just popped into my head. Nobody ever play pool with this woman. That's all there is to it. Um, I I saw you out and about after the M M&M and M and you were playing pool and you are a shark, ma'am. You are a shark. You looked all calm and delightful and you're like, oh, I'll just I'll just take a shot. Nine balls later, it was amazing. Oh, no, I'm not a shark. <laughs> oh, uh-huh, sure. Don't believe her. See, this is what I think is so great about Montana politicians is because, you know, you could run into Tester out at a bar. That's right. And uh, and it's not a shock to anybody in Montana, but I guess this is not the way things are done in other states, which is part, part of the problem. I've heard that. I've heard that. And uh, so what's it like for you? Do you get recognized a lot? Boy, I do anymore. Really? I, I do. It's, it's, it's interesting because... You know, you used to be able to go wherever you wanted, and most times people didn't really know who you were. And uh, but now, just about anywhere I go in the state, I uh, people recognize me. Uh, they take a double take, or it's sometimes I don't notice, but my husband does more so. Huh. Um, but interestingly enough, I even actually now that I travel nationally a lot because I'm involved in my national um, association of insurance commissioners as an officer. I travel nationally and internationally. Um, I get I get noticed a lot of places. One of the craziest places I ever got noticed was in uh, the airport in Amsterdam. <laughs> I was standing there waiting to get on a plane, and this woman was standing next to me. And finally, she says, "Are you Monica Lindine?" And I was like, "Yes." And of course, you know, I had my hair in a ponytail with a hat on. <laughs> I'm flying from Amsterdam. Leave me alone. And I was like, I didn't think nobody will notice me. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but yeah, somebody from Montana. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we do go everywhere. <laughs> yes, and you know what? Montanans are awesome. We have, it's, it's amazing traveling across the country because no matter where you go, when people find out you're from Montana, they either want to tell you the story about when they were there and how mm-hmm. much they loved it, or they tell you that it's the one place they've always wanted to go in their life and they can't wait to get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after living here, you know, growing up here and then moving away and seeing the rest of the country and then moving back, I kind of agree. You know, it's one of those great places. Mm-hmm. So um, as you were coming into your first term, you kind of had an idea of what the office was about. Did you run into any surprises? Anything that just caught you completely off guard or was just weird and you're like, huh, didn't even realize that. And this, this isn't meant to be one of those, no. oh my gosh, did it catch it? Did you miss something? It's, it's no. more like, you know, everybody goes into an office with an idea of what you have to do. And then there's mm-hmm. always, I, and everybody that I've talked to, they've been like, but I didn't realize we also had this part of it. And I was like, oh, well. Yeah. And that's a good thing to know, because I wouldn't have ever guessed No, that. I could, I, you know, interestingly enough, it, it wasn't necessarily the issues that kind of surprised me. Mm. It was more um, the fact that some things needed to be done internally in terms of managing the office that hadn't been done in a long time. 
and that the technology in the office um, was very outdated. And so coming from the background I do as a former technology company owner, you know, <laughs> I was, and, and somebody who has managed a business and managed people, um, I really, you know, looked at, okay, here are the issues we have in the office and, okay, how are we going to approach this and make changes, which you can't, just can't come into an office like that with state employees and just start making changes with everything right away because people get very upset. So I kind of just started with one bureau and made some changes and then the next and then the next. And eventually then I, w I was able to start attacking the, uh, the IT situation and you know we've been in the process now for the past you know two and a half years up updating our IT systems in the office and we've come a long way and as a result we're much more efficient um, not only for consumers but for the industry that deals with our office as well so I'm pretty proud of that actually that's cool yeah I always worry about the technology at government because they're like oh, <sighs> you've got a PC <laughs> Uh, you know, when you are, literally, this is the one thing that scared me. <laughs> when, I, when I figured out uh, just how outdated the technology was in terms of the data that we store, which basically is so important to the regulation of the insurance industry alone, mm -hmm. without even looking at securities, the servers, the servers were so outdated that if they were to actually just, like, fall down, um, we'd be out of business. Because you couldn't get parts from it anymore. Um, yeah, it's that outdated. <laughs> Not anymore, though. Not anymore. Okay. So, the, so the great thing is that, thankfully, that never occurred. I was scared to death it was going to. Um, but we finally were able to uh, move past that <laughs> over so, time. I, okay, I have a question for you. Now, does uh, your... I guess it's... What is it? It's not a department because you're not under anyone else. You're in the land board. Your section of the state, do you work with ITSD out of the Department of Admin, or do you have your own? Well, that's, that's a really good question, because we do have to work with ITSD on some of our systems, but then we're separate from other things hmm. um, away from ITSD. They would love to have everything under ITSD, but we've resisted. Well, you, you should. <laughs> Every time I've dealt with ITSD, it's been a slow walk through a dark well, valley. Well, it's so. not only that, but I, and this is something I was really frustrated with even as a legislator, is when I actually look at the breakdown of what they charge and how much they charge for certain services and how, that is, how they arrive at that cost, I still, I'm still not quite sure. And really what kind of influence the legislature has in setting those costs is very little. Hmm. Um, for the most part. And it's very frustrating to me because I really feel like um, the other agencies in state government are overpaying for services in ITS, you, at ITSD. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> do you think that um, ITSD should maybe be broken out and the state should have a CTO? I mean, with technology I I, being I, I, in everything that we do. And I mean, I know why it's in the Department of Admin. I worked at GE for a while, and mm -hmm, I understood mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. most of our computer purchases were run through our accounting department. And I, you know, I get that. They were the first ones to need computers. They're the first ones to deal with them. And they're obviously the backbone of the company in a certain sense. But after a while, you know, the CTO came in, and he was not from the accounting department and that threw accounting for a loop it threw everybody for a loop but we ended up with better technology and it looks to me like you know the department of admin had has always had ITSD in it because the first people to get accounting were 
or computers were accounting and that yeah. was part of admin. Uh-huh. So it sort of, it grew there, but I think it's a beast on its own, personally, that should be, you know, in its own cage. My thinking, yours? I think that things have changed enough over the last 20 years that something different needs to be done. Absolutely. Um, I can tell you, though, that we did create um, a chief technology officer under the governor's office um, when I was in the legislature. And it all, it, it all came about um, because, of a, because of a contract that occurred in the Department of Revenue when they were updating their points system, which turned out to be a complete disaster mm-hmm. because nobody understood technology contracts. And so as a result, they created this whole new state you know, position underneath the governor's office, which is supposed to be kind of reviewing uh, not only technology contracts for all agencies statewide, but also looking at their technology plans. I think that not being in the governor's office and not really, and now that I'm out of the legislature, I'm not sure how effective that has been. Um, But Well, since those of us who are interested in politics, like me, haven't heard of it, I'm going to guess not. Yeah. You know, call me crazy. Well, and I I think that unfortunately sometimes, you know, something starts out as a great idea and maybe it doesn't always get uh, implemented in the way that you had hoped that it would. Right. So, yeah, I I really think that there needs to be some changes and I think that um, people need to recognize that they, you know, there's such, there's these turf battles that happen in state government, which I find very frustrating. And uh, sometimes people are so unwilling to let go of um, certain uh, responsibilities because it's like, well, if I do that, then I won't have a job anymore. Which, you know, interesting enough, I think that there's always, there's always a way to reorganize so that people can maintain their jobs but still be more efficient. Right. And do things differently. But it's, it's hard to get state government to do that. Well, state government moves slowly, but it does move, hopefully. Yeah, it does. Right, and you got your IT straightened out. Absolutely. And so as you're coming up on the end of that project, is are things working out the way you expected? Did you run into any other bumps? On that particular project? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest the the biggest problem was actually getting the buy in from the folks who worked in my IT IT bureau. (laughs) That was the biggest that was the biggest hurdle. And then finally getting somebody who was a very effective IT manager. Um, which can be difficult to do in state government because people who are good at that, at managing people and um, managing IT projects, are not cheap. No. And obviously, it's you, you can't always pay them that kind of money in state government. And so, fortunately, I was eventually able to get that right person in place. So Very yeah. Cool. So, what other changes have you made in your office other than the name, which I like the new name? CSI, very yeah, cool. Well, now Although, do you get the sunglasses? Do we film you <laughs> with a lens flare and you're like, Anna, we've got their securities. I have a badge. <laughs> really? I awesome. Do, I do have a badge. Do you get to carry heat? No. No, uh, I don't. But there are other insurance commissioners in the country who do carry, carry heat, wow. so to speak. Yeah, in fact, where was it? Uh, there's a couple of states where the insurance commissioner is also the fire marshal, and so they get... A gun, a badge, and a blue light. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. When, when, when Steve Bullock was the attorney general, he got elected attorney general the same time I was elected to my first term in this office, I was teasing him about getting me a blue light. Um, he never did get it done. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm still holding that over his head. Well, but, he's the governor now, can't he? Just go get yeah, you one. Yeah, yeah, he could, but he's, he's got a bigger fish to fry right now. Um, but I do want to re- remind folks who are listening that um, while we have totally rebranded the office as CSI, Commissioner of Securities and Insurance, over the last six and a half years, um, we would like to make that really official um, with a constitutional referendum, which is on the ballot in November. And so people can actually vote to change it. Um, to reflect what you actually have to yeah, do. Yeah, so it's changed in the Constitution. So I'm Perfect. hoping that What's people, the referendum number? Do I don't remember. Okay, well, we'll look that up. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes, which absolutely zero people have gone to. It always cracks me up. Um, okay, so... Uh, you figured out that you needed a name change. You figured out you needed some IT upgrades. And that, were they, what were they using? Windows 95 and IE 6? Um, no. This, no, 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 no. Oh, it's just back-end IT stuff? Yeah, back-end stuff. <laughs> we have a server. What is it? It's an AS400. <laughs> uh, and it's dead. Um, okay, so... Other changes. What other changes? Um... One of the first things I did was um, make some changes in the legal bureau, because what I found was that all the everything that was happening in the office, at one way or another, ends up going through legal. And number one, we didn't have enough people in charge in legal. And number two, we needed to change the leadership or the management in legal. And so. We changed the leadership. We got the legislature to give us another FTE. And over the course of time, we've been able to make legal run much more efficiently. Um, We now have, I'm trying to think, we have three more attorneys than we had when I first got there. Yeah, and we don't have that many. We only have like six, six or seven attorneys total. But, um, and who runs the legal bureau? Right now, mm-hmm. Jesse Lazovich. Oh. He's my chief legal counsel. Oh, delightful. Yeah. We love Jesse. Yeah. Been on the Me show too. a couple times. Yeah. Um, so you've got the legal bureau. How many bureaus do you have? Oh, goodness. That's, uh, let me see. Well, on the security side, you just have securities, right? And then you on the insurance side, you've got legal actually works for both securities and insurance as does our central services folks. Um, But then on the insurance side, you have like our forms, rates, policyholder services, um, licensing. We've got our Insure Montana Bureau, I think five or six, yeah. And um, so the efficiencies that you've managed to do with IT, are you trying to get all of those up for everybody or Mm -hmm. getting new, finding new ways to do everything better for everyone? Well, yeah, and and some of it I've done actually through our National Association of Insurance Commissioners as well. Um, A lot of the data that our, um, let's say, licensing and forms people were utilizing on our own system, um, now we utilize through a national system, Mm. which actually didn't cost us anything. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it's much more efficient. There's much more data and more ways to um, play with it, and it allows us to be more paperless in the office, which is another big goal of mine. Um, So that's been a a You don't like killing trees? I don't. I don't. (laughs) And it's really hard to teach some people not to kill trees. Exactly. Well, I printed out this email for you. Yeah, come here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so with all of that that's gone on in the office, have you thought about anything that you want to do next? I mean, you've got two years, right? <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> yeah, I have. I've thought about it. Um, you know. You want to share? 
I, well, there's always a possibility I might run for Secretary of State. That'd be cool. And that actually leads into a question that I did have for you. With everything that you do with securities and insurance and whatnot, a lot of that stuff has to be notarized. And my mom actually is the head of notary for the Secretary of State's office. Mm -hmm. How much coordination do you have with the other offices when it's something that you know crosses bounds like that? Mm. Well, interesting. It seems like the two that we obviously deal with the most would be the governor's office um, when we're dealing with certain policy changes during the legislature or budget issues. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes the attorney general's office. For instance, when Blue Cross Blue Shield um, wanted to merge with HCSC, which is another insurance company out of um, Chicago, Illinois, um, because of the fact that um, Blue Cross Blue Shield was a nonprofit entity, the attorney general's office got to play a role in that process. Hmm. I took care of part of it. The attorney general's office took care of another part. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then we've had some, I'm trying to remember, we've had a couple other times when we've dealt with the attorney general's office, but mostly the governor's office. Hmm. Um, like, for instance, when we were uh, last session, we were, you know, trying to maintain the Insure Montana program for small businesses, and we had a slight disagreement about whether or not that should continue with the budget director, but we got that all taken care of, and, and we've been able to, we were able to maintain the program. Oh, that's good. What is the Insure Montana program? Insure Montana program was actually passed by the legislature in 2000, uh, it was during my during the time I was in the during in the legislature, in fact, I think John Tester carried the bill, if I remember right. And what it does is it created a, an insurance program for small businesses in Montana that have two to nine employees. So we're talking the very smallest of the small, and it allowed them either to, if they had never offered insurance to their employees before, because they couldn't afford it, they could actually purchase insurance through the, this program, um, or they could get a tax credit if they were already um, offering insurance, and they could utilize a tax credit to make it more affordable. So it oh, made nice. insurance more affordable for the and, smallest and, businesses in Montana. And we're talking about health insurance for Health employees. insurance, okay. health insurance. And the, the funding source that was, is utilized for that is tobacco tax dollars. And if you look at the state's general fund and you look at those tobacco tax dollars, and obviously there's other programs that are utilizing it, but you've seen a decrease in the amount of revenue from the tobacco tax because obviously fewer. Right, because MTUP has actually been successful in getting people to yeah, stop smoking. Fewer people are smoking, so which is a good thing on the one hand, but on the other hand it certainly is causing issues with funding some programs, which is the danger, Right. you know. And since the passage of the Health Affordable Care Act, you know, there was this discussion about, well, you know, there's this small business insurance that's available in the new marketplace under the Affordable Care Act. Can't all these people just switch over? And I said, well, not necessarily. First of all, we're not even sure if the small group market portion of the new Affordable Care Act is going to work. Number two, we don't know what it looks like. Number three, we don't know what's going to cost. And so I think that it's premature right. to just dump, try, just dump everybody and, and quit the program right now. And so we argued that we needed to wait. And so that's what they did. And right now, we're still not sure. We're still <clears throat> going to be looking at the numbers once open enrollment closes. And 
and we can figure out, you know, how successful it is or isn't. And, and open enrollment closes March 31st, March yes? 31st. Oh, and that's just for the individual market. Ah, when yeah. does it close for the business market? Never. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so how many of the changes that have come with the ACA have affected how you do business? Have they really brought anything into your office? Are you dealing with them left and right? Well, the, the major thing for my office has been implementation of, first of all, the reforms that occurred. There was a lot of health insurance reforms that went into place, I think, in 2010, right off the bat. So we needed to work with all the health insurance companies that do business in Montana to make sure that they were making changes to their filings in our office because every insurance company, when they offer an insurance product, they file that with our office. We have to review it and approve it. So we had to make sure that they made the appropriate changes to reflect those, those different cha- uh, reforms that were put into place. Um, we have also then, as these, as the new marketplace opened in October, there was a lot of work that went into it before that in terms of reviewing the rates of all the products, uh, reviewing the forms of all the products, making sure that all three of these companies that were providing you know, health insurance in this new marketplace had adequate networks. I mean, there was a ton of work by our office that went into that. And it's just regular um, things. It's, it's what this office does every day. But now we had to do it for this whole new marketplace. And we had to look at new rules that were being put brought down by, obviously, the feds to make sure that, you know, everybody was in compliance. So it's been a huge lift for us. <laughs> Not only that, but obviously answering the questions for the public, answering complaints for the public. And overall, how do you think it's gone? Um, I think that um, obviously things didn't start out too well. Since here in Montana we were utilizing the, the federal marketplace, the rollout was awful. I was just in shock that you know you could have access to all that money and all those types of IT resources and have something to have the disaster they had on their hands. And with your background in IT, I'm sure you were looking at it going, what happened? I was furious, to tell you the truth. I was furious. It's like, how could, you, how, how could this happen? Which we all know now is because nobody was in charge. Um, but anyway, putting that aside, I think that they have, they have fixed a lot of things. It's running much more smoothly now. Um, there's still more work to be done. And it looks like, you know, more and more people are signing up every day. And based on, you know, the stories I'm hearing from Montanans all over the, all over the state, uh, many people are incredibly happy with the, the product they're getting and the price that they're paying because they're getting it for a lot cheaper than, than they were pri- previously. And people that, who never could afford insurance are getting insurance now. Yeah, I'm one of them. Uh, being, uh, you know, having my own company, being self-employed, trying to get insurance here. The last quote that I had gotten before uh, healthcare reform even passed, it was like 900, 1200 a month, depending on whether I wanted to actually see a doctor or not or something. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous. And then uh, the rate now is like 264. I'm like, I can pay that. Not a problem. That's so awesome. it's it's awesome, and yeah. and it's one of those things where I didn't try to sign up in October, so I don't know how bad the website was. I was like, eh, I'll do it in December when I have time. And sure enough, December tenth, I like signed up and took oh, yeah. like five minutes to get through it. Well, and that was my advice to people when when it all started, because um, we went out and we did like a one tour of the state right away when we went to all the major communities and we held held these open houses, which, by the way, we couldn't believe it. Standing room only. 
I mean, literally 200, 250 people would show, were showing up at these. And my advice to everyone was that they should wait. I mean, let, let the bugs get worked out. You know, I, I knew there would be bugs. I didn't think there would be a total disaster. But <laughs> the initial, there were bugs, like, didn't realize they were going to be the giant insects um, from the Paleolithic. But, you know, I was also impressed with the fact that, you know, people said, why, why would you want to go out and do those town halls? Don't you think it's just going to be a bunch of people protesting? And I went, you know, there's been so much misinformation out there. I just think, I feel like it's our duty to make sure that people get the facts and they can make their own decisions about what they want to do. And, you know, literally, I never had one protester at one of these meetings. Um, people were there to actually find out the facts so they could figure out what to do for their own families and them, themselves. And we've also been going out to all the Indian reservations in Montana because there's, there's some real opportunity for them as well. Awesome. And we've been, we just want to make sure that they know that and they, then they can make the decisions that are most going to be most effective for them. Very cool. Um, so I just find it really interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the land board because you are one of the five voices on the land board. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things that people don't understand because I think it's, I don't know if it's unique to Montana, but it's certainly close because the, the natural resources for the state are managed by the land board, correct? If it's on state lands. State land. Mm -hmm. Okay. We manage the state lands. Okay. And there's a lot of state land in Montana. <laughs> and, and there is. Yes, there is. Um, with, there's been a couple of bills over the last couple of years that have been interesting. One of them was the, uh, corner crossing bill okay. so that we, you know, so that state lands that had been surrounded by non-state lands could still be accessed, mm -hmm. you know, if there was a corner crossing and, um, and then there's the coal incidents that have come up over the last couple of months, well, years now, I guess. And how do you balance the, uh, the needs of the various parts of Montanans. I mean, we have the hunters and anglers and the people who want to be outdoors and they, you know, and it's all about the beauty of Montana, but then you also have, um, you know, the natural resources, coal and, and the rest and of mining. And exactly. And, and, you know, with all the stuff that's happening out in the Bakken and how busy it's getting out there and, you know, businesses booming in Billings, how do you balance that on the land board? How do you balance those needs and wants and desires all together with what's, well, and, you know, what's right? Where does right fall, I guess? Yeah. With those. No, that's a very good question. I mean, you know, the bottom line usually is that we have a, you know, constitutional obligation to make sure that we are um, providing for the trust and, and obviously managing those lands in the best way possible in order to do that. And so, for instance, you know, with grazing fees on public lands, we want to make sure that... Um, we're not overcharging the farmers or ranchers that are or utilizing those state lands, but at the same time, we have to try to get the best, we, we want to try to get the best price possible for those leases, and so we want to try to get them as close to market as possible. Um, when it comes to oil and gas leases, um, you know, same thing. Um, coal, I know that's that's probably, I think, one of the uh, the more contentious issues, obviously, the the most contentious vote we ever had on that state land board was, you know, the the Otter Creek, the Otter Creek vote, and it was tough because on the one hand, um, when you think about what that may lead to in terms of you know how it affects the land and the water and so forth, 
um, you know, it's, it's something that it does tug at the heartstrings. And on the other hand, you know, it really was about the price you're going to get for the lease, which is what you need for, to, to actually give to the trust. I'm, I'm not explaining this very well, I realize. No, no, you are. I'm, so no, it's very hard people, to, it's, it's hard to balance all those things. Yeah, well, and that's just it. Some people think it's an easy answer that it's very black and white. No. But then they, <laughs> they're also the people that, you know, don't pay attention to the fact that no, it's not. Um, the other thing is, you keep mentioning the trust. The trust is actually what? The trust is all the money from all these leases goes into a school trust. Um, so it's education in the state of Montana. Yeah, the edu- education community actually um, benefits from this. And every single parcel of state land actually um, is assigned to certain some educational institution. And so if there's any money that's being generated from that parcel, it goes to that institution. Um, really? Some of it, oh yeah. So is there like a... Some of it goes to the University of Montana, some to MSU, some to, um, you know, other places in the state. But I mean, it, education is, is, is the benefic- beneficiary. So that's awesome. <laughs> you know, some, some things we do in Montana, we do really well, and that's one of them. Um, with, mm-hmm. with, you know, you, then you're definitely in conflict because it's, it's the whole, you know, okay, well, we're going to be mining coal in this area and it's a beautiful area, but there's a lot of coal. How do we do that? Well, we want to do it because it's going to fund education at these institutions. Well, we want to be educated. Last I checked. <laughs> well, let's remember too, that that vote was just about the lease for Otter Creek. That vote had nothing to do with approving the IES, which then would allow them to mine that coal. Um, so there's there's so many steps in the process. This is step one. This yeah, really? The money that we got from the vote that we took that day was just to approve a lease. Of the land, not of the for land. extraction of minerals. No. So they still have to go through the entire process of putting together the IAS and doing everything that needs to be done that then goes through its process. And that's still with the land board, yes? Uh, well, parts of, it? parts of it are, parts of it aren't, okay? So we don't deal with all of that. Um, DNRC, DEQ, everybody's got their role to play here. And... You know, you also, this is also another interesting part, if we're just talking about the Otter Creek issue, is that, you know, while the company is going through this entire process, it's been interesting to note that the price of coal has continued to decline. Now, there's a cost-benefit analysis that has to occur, and is occurring, I'm sure, as, as they move forward continually, to say, can we actually afford to, to actually turn... Turn, yeah, at turn what it, point but does it become a zero return? Yeah, at what point is it not cost-effective to actually turn any dirt? And, you know, right now they're kind of almost to that point. So it'll be interesting to see if this actually ever gets mined. And in the process also, obviously, technology is changing. Um, I was just in China last month, and I tell you, <laughs> the air pollution there is outrageous. Uh, many of it from, you know, because of what they're using, which is coal. From us. Uh, from, well, from us and other places. Yeah. But they also understand and realize that. And they know that they need to change the way they're doing business as well. And so, you know, who knows what the future holds. Hopefully okay. it'll be better. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, 
with all the things that are coming up uh, in this next legislative session that we have to fix, aside from your name, which we're going to vote on, um, what, are the, what are the hopes that you have for the next legislature that you really would like to see get put in place? Oh, my gosh. You know, I haven't actually, we don't actually have our um, legislative agenda yet. Um, obviously, I want to make sure that we continue to make sure the office is functioning with, with the uh, resources we need. Um, just trying to think out loud. I can tell you about a couple of issues that are being discussed. Sure. Um, one is wasn't really our idea. It's actually um, the state fund. They approached us about uh, whether or not we would be willing to, if the legislature and the governor approved, become the um, regulator. Because right now they, there is no regulator over the state fund. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that the people at home can't see my face as it imploded. People but. <laughs> don't know that. I mean, honest to God, when you purchase, um, so their insurance. But why wouldn't you just de by default be the regulator? Because under <laughs> under state law, um, the state fund workers comp program is not regulated under my office. There is no regulator. Um, you have a that's just weird. You have a legislative audit that occurs, but they don't understand the business of insurance, so they're not really... No. They have an independent auditor that comes in that they pay for. So, so it's and, not necessary. I don't... You, you all couldn't see that. Yeah. There were a lot of air quotes that just <clears throat> flew past Mark. Yeah. <laughs> but we do regulate the private workers' comp insurance market. Oh, so which, you're already well-versed. Which is very so. small, though, compared to in terms of market share compared to what the state fund has. And so, I mean, it would make sense that we regulated them. Um, of course, the question becomes whether or not, you know, the legislature agrees, whether the governor agrees, and there's all sorts of other things, and too, because, um, you know, right now the employees at the state fund are under the um, state's... Um, PERS system, do they may remain there? Do you take them out? I mean, there's all sorts of questions that would have to be answered. So we're having discussions with them. Um, the legislature's involved now as well. And we'll see how that turns out. That's probably, I think, one of the biggest issues we deal with next session. Interesting. And State Fund always has so many issues in front of the legislature because they're so well-loved. <clears throat> you know, of course, I jokingly said that, you know, I'd certainly be willing to do it if I could switch buildings. Oh, yeah. You've They're, seen their new building. Oh, yeah, it's two blocks away. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> That's beautiful. not going to happen, but we just like to joke about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it's a lovely building. And, you know, the architects that, that designed it went all out. It's, oh, they did it's a fantastic. really. Oh, they did a, a great job. And it's green, too. Yep. It I is. don't think that people realize that it's got a zero carbon footprint and its overall usage is something like 10 kilowatt hours. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's like a fridge. It's great. It is. It's fantastic. So. Um, that's really interesting, though, that we have the, well, Montana. We have our moments, and then we have our moments. Uh, so we have, we formed an insurance company and said, "Oh, we don't need to regulate them." How odd. Well, they were considered, I think. Well, not I think they were considered kind of an insurer of last re resort for workers' comp insurance. And ended up being the insurer the, the, of first yeah. resort. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And it's interesting. I lived in Maine for a while, and um, Maine Mutual is there, and they're the equivalent of state fund. Mm -hmm. Or at least they were when they started out. They're now completely separate. Mm -hmm. um, they're still quasi-state um, thing, state government, but uh, they're, they're run very separate. They're a little more separate than state fund is here, and they're doing an awesome job. But they're definitely the first place that people go for workers' comp insurance in Maine. So 
know, yeah. I think it was a good idea. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of states had <clears throat> state funds similar to ours, um, but over the course of time, a lot of them have been privatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's been, I think, for the most part, pretty successful in, in a lot of states. I hope so. Um, what about banking? How much regulation do you have to do with that, other than the securities that they sell? I don't do any banking. There's actually a banking commissioner that's under the Department of Administration. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. So, all right, well, that line of questioning just went out the window. <laughs> so, but I could talk about the security stuff a little bit if you'd like. Sure, I'd I love mean, to. I, I mean, mean, the whole thing is, is I, you know, I... I product of the Helena public school system. God love it. Um, we studied civics and we knew who was on the land board and we had the very basic idea of what they did mm-hmm. and realized, of course, this is also over 20 years ago. So some of it's fallen out of my head. But like I mentioned at the beginning, you're the one member of the land board that nobody can really just sit down and say what they do. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, that's the big reason for the name change, not just so that people know what we do, but they also know who to call. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if you are a consumer and let's say you have, you know, you've got insurance on your home and you have a hail storm and you have damage and the insurance company isn't willing to pay your claim so you can fix your roof, okay? If you're upset with that insurance company and you don't realize what this office does, who do you call? Well, yeah, that's just it. Most people don't realize that this is the office you call. A lot of people think they have to get an attorney. You don't have to get an attorney. You call our office, you wage a complaint, we look at your contract, we make sure that under the contract the insurance company is supposed to pay that claim, and I tell you what, 99% of the time, once the insurance company knows that you've contacted us, it's amazing how quickly that claim gets paid. We really? we Oh, yeah. We average um, on insurance claims paid based on calls from consumers, we average around $5 million a year in claims that get paid. Wow. That's on the insurance side. I mean, it's huge. On the security side, um, I can tell you that since I have been in this office um, dealing with um, financial fraud, securities fraud, mm-hmm. or somebody has been you know, taken in some kind of a, a scam, we have been able to get over $200 million in restitution to Montana victims. $200 million. Wow. What's scary about that is that there's probably that much or more out there that we don't even know about. Because people don't contact you. Yeah, because here's the thing about securities fraud. I mean, let's, let's, let's say you are 76 years old, okay? And somebody contacted you and talked you into investing your money into to this oil well, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Well, it turns out that it was a scam and you pretty much lost all your life savings in the process. And you are very embarrassed because you feel pretty stupid. You don't want your family to know about it because your family will think, well, obviously you've lost your mind and you don't know how to handle your money anymore. And so... Um, <laughs> My family wouldn't think that. that. They'd just be like, you what? Don't, you it's don't want to lose your financial independence. You're embarrassed. There's all sorts of things that happen. And so people don't always make that phone call. And one of the things I try to tell folks, especially, we, I travel around the state a lot talking to like seniors organizations and other groups. You know, I say to them, if, if, 
if you've been taken, that means somebody else has, more than likely. And until you call us, we can't do an investigation. We can't bring that person to justice. And so that's why it's so important to make that phone call to begin with. And then we talk to them about how they can protect themselves, you know, from getting involved in these things to begin with. And so that's a big part of what our office does, um, besides actually doing the investigations and, and prosecutions and so forth. But I think the fact that we are able to do what we do is such a huge service to the people of Montana. And as I said earlier, it is, it is incredibly rewarding. You know, when you've got somebody who just, even on the insurance side, you know, when they call our office and they, they, they haven't been able to get the insurance company to pay, let's say this healthcare claim, that's like thousands of dollars. That's a lot of money to Montanans. And you're able to get the insurance company to pay it. They are incredibly happy. Yeah. They're very grateful. So you're making a difference in Montanans' lives every single day, and people just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, not just me, but everybody that works in that office. You that's know? awesome. How that's, big is the office? It's one of the smallest agencies in state government here in Montana. We have 85 people. Really? Yep. Wow. That's impressive, then. So $200 million, $5 million on the other side, and yeah. 85 people. That's a heck of a lot of production for 85 people. Yep. It's incredible. That's good work. So um, the election season is coming up. I know that you're going to be helping out with a lot of people. I've already seen you at several events. Um, anything exciting coming up for you with it or just going to help out and sit on the sidelines and cheer? Mm, well, you know, it gives me a chance to get to travel around Montana more, which is always fun to do. Well, that's good. Yeah. And uh, do what I can to make sure that we get good people elected to the legislature who are going to be willing um, to um, not be quite so partisan and actually do the right thing for Montanans. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we'll be working on, I'm sure, this election cycle is the Medicaid expansion issue. Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, you know, 77,000 Montanans could have been covered. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking when you actually realize just how many of those folks have some serious health issues and they can't afford to take care of it in a, in a lot of cases. But... Yeah, we're going to work, be working with uh, everybody who's involved in that project to make sure that gets on the ballot, hopefully passed. And we want to make sure we get legislators in there who are actually going to be willing to fund it. Cool. I think it'll be a great political season. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's always fun. It is always fun. And, you know, elections are one of those cycles where everybody goes, oh, well, you know, you get to see the best and the worst about people. Well, hopefully this year we'll just see the best. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> You are really an optimist. I love it. I am. Well, you know what? I have to be because sometimes mm. these people just make me crazy. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to call people out when they're, when they're shoveling shit. Sorry. That's just exactly what it is. And if they're going to try to do that with Montanans, all of us recognize it. We've all been around it. We, we know exactly what it is and we shouldn't put up with it. So, you know, it's just one of those, hopefully we won't have to deal with too much of it this cycle. I mean, there's already some, but... Well, I think it'll be really interesting, you know, because you're right. I think Montanans do recognize it. And I think Montanans have definitely recognized, um, especially on the Republican side, that there is this one faction of the party that uh, yeah. that's really become unreasonable or maybe always has been unreasonable. Um, and I think there's, as somebody else pointed out, there's some real battles in the Republican side in some primaries that uh, it'll be interesting to see who wins. And 
and uh, which side of the party's in control come no come November. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I. I'm placing no bets. <laughs> I'm supporting the people I want to support, but I'm placing no yeah. bets. Yeah, uh, me either. Me so. either. Well, and very then, cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to tell people? Or uh, No, I just uh, thanks for the opportunity to come and chat and visit with you today. And if there's ever anything I can do for you in my office, uh, please don't hesitate to give us a call. What is the, because I'm assuming you have a toll-free number for the office, yes? Or do you not? I do have a toll-free number. But, but you don't remember. I don't remember the number. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you never have to call it. You walk into the office. Every Just day. Google that. Just, Just Google, Google it. it. What's actually What's actually the web address for your office? Um, the web address is uh, csi.mt.gov. Cool. csi.mt.gov. Cool. Um, so, if you do need any help with uh, with securities or insurance, that's where you go, and uh, it sounds like they can help you out pretty easily. Absolutely. Awesome. Monica, thank you for joining me on the relaunch of the show. It's very exciting to have you here. And for everybody out there, have a great day. All right. My pleasure. Thanks. Politics and Zone.